Welcome to the NDS Safer and Stronger podcast. In this episode, we are joined by Anthony Black, the Senior Enterprise Risk Consultant and National Care Practice Leader at Ansfire Insurance Australia, speaking with Graham West, the Disability Sector Consultant from the Safer and Stronger team, as they discuss the need for disability providers to adopt a more contemporary board model, views on different organization structures required to succeed in a consumer-driven market, board roles in internal audit programs, and demonstrating sound risk management to improve insurability. Thanks for joining me today, Anthony, for this talk around risk and boards and disability services organisations. It's a pleasure. We've been thinking for some time and talking uh, in communities of practice and in board sessions just around structures for boards. Be really keen on your recommendation as to how disability organisations could adopt more contemporary models if they haven't already done so? Um, it's a good question. I think there are a lot of organisations uh, pursuing this question at the moment. The reality is that uh, board structures haven't changed significantly in general for many decades. Um, they're still the standard type of uh, board subcommittees, for example, very focused on their regulatory responsibilities, uh, particularly when it comes to finance and audit. And they tend to hang on to those for a long time because it's the traditional approach. But uh, what we are seeing is that the risk environment's changing significantly and also the expectations placed on directors are increasing. So as I said at the start, what I'm starting to see, Graeme, is that more challenge of are our structures tradition-based or are they risk-based? So what that means is adapting a board governance model that better reflects the strategy and risk of an organisation. Um, and what I mean by that, so I'll give an example, um, uh, the strategic importance of workforce. So we're all very much aware of how important that is to the success of the organisation and, and the participants' quality. Um, and you've got aspects like staff development to consider protections of staff capability and capacity and just general management. Um, so some boards have specifically established a subcommittee to focus and bring the necessary monitoring and leadership to workforce. So they've adapted that as a subcommittee of board, which is new to some organisations, but it's giving the focus it needs. Um, and it takes what has been in the past, for example, workforce, uh, out of that nebulous environment of it being a line item in the agenda of uh, finance or quality. Um, and I'm starting to see that a lot more. I'm starting to see with other aspects of key risk areas, such as clinical governance or care governance, uh, community engagement being another one, and uh, even property and assets. So in my mind, there's no perfect board structure, if you like, Graham, but um, what it, what's really important is to consider with is to consider whether what you have in place reflects the strategy of your organisation and to make the adjustments so that you're maximising board's role and the capabilities of the board directors to get the most out of your strategy and to ensure that you're delivering on your accountabilities and your leadership. Boards often go through a regeneration of their, their, their members and I would imagine that then boards should be looking to bring in some new capabilities. The traditional board with the traditional people who have been there longer term mightn't be uh, suitable for this sort of new way of managing boards? That's a good point. And I think opening up 
the doors a little bit, maybe not even having a permanent place for someone in the board, but as a board advisor, really helps to challenge the environment of the board decision-making, um, making sure you've got people who understand workforce, um, making sure you have someone who's got a background and an understanding of care governance, of property and assets. They may not necessarily sit on the board, but they're people that you can bring into the board when you're having specific discussions. I think that's a good aspect of good governance to be thinking about that. Yeah, I like that, that's good. So then subsequently, like board structures are, are changing, are you seeing any sh uh, changes and shifts in organisation structures, particularly set up to succeed in a real consumer-driven market? Um, yes, and, and uh, one of the questions I'm often asked is which one's better, the larger model um, or the smaller model when it comes to that question? Uh, the reality is, in my mind, the market needs both. Uh, so participants, and I guess the evolvement of the scheme will define the market over the long term, but uh, as it stands now, the sector relies on the macro and micro providers. Um, which is better placed to succeed in my mind, it's hard to say, but it is uh, important that no matter what the size of an organisation, it focuses on strategy and growth management and incorporates the, the desires of the consumer uh, in both of those two aspects. Uh, so let me just touch on those two, um, if I could, particularly the strategy and plan, Graeme, I think, um, so what I see is many organisations working to a plan, but whether it's strategic and talks about, you know, the, the two or three years ahead uh, are sometimes questionable. Um, or I see a strategic plan that's either in progress or needs reviewing. I think given the disruptions that we face and will continue to face, uh, probably two comments I'd make. Uh, don't go for the really long-term plans, but make sure you have a succinct and agile, at least two to three year plan in place. And that needs to be something that's embraced and real for the organisation. So it's good to see strategy on a, plan, on a page. It's good to see, you know, investment made um, in building the strategy, but it's got to do something for your organisation, if that makes sense. Uh, so in my mind, it's once again, not a matter of size of the organisation. It's having the right plan for the size of the organisation and one that's useful and one that's embraced. I was just going to mention the other aspect to that, Graeme, is growth. So as a risk professional, uh, the, the word growth for me is, is a red flag. And that's not because I don't believe that growth is a good thing. Uh, for many people, they, they see growth as you know, a very positive thing. But it is only positive if you manage the risk associated with it. And that, it's, that is an explicit part of your planning. Otherwise, what we see is that organisations suffer from growth. And as a consequence, participants suffer from growth because the organisation exceeds the capability and the capacity to manage it well. And you will have seen that, Graeme, I'm sure in your experience, yeah. where we've seen this exponential growth in some organisations from a small, even a micro to that medium level organisation. And with that, trying to keep the same management structures, the same systems in place to manage enormous growth. And unfortunately, it's brought a number of organisations down. Yeah, there's certainly a lag and sometimes growth should be planned and, and timed appropriately. So 100% agree with you. 
So boards have already got a lot on, and uh, you know you've spoken about um, there's some new aspects, clinical governance, and other things they should be focusing on. I'm sort of wondering with regard to then things about the operation of the business, and then perhaps a board's role in oversight of say an internal audit program, and then setting acceptable levels. Um, so as yeah, just they get a visibility for the effectiveness of controls. What do you think a board's sort of typical role? should be in this area? Well, it takes us back to that discussion we just had about strategy and growth. So being really clear from a planning perspective, what you expect for the organisation and the type of growth that you're pursuing uh, means that um, you then capture an understanding of the risks associated with both those two aspects. Having a good risk profile is a really important first step in auditing because otherwise what you end up doing is re-auditing known risk. And a good example of that might be payroll. So we know the payroll's risky, for example. Uh, and there's often audit processes aligned to it to go over and over and over the same things. But there are other risks that confront the organisation that don't get the same line of sight. What a good risk profile does is actually guide the audit program. Uh, and that's where board plays a really important role. So my question often to boards is, what role have you played in the establishment of the audit program? Um, because you're the one really that should be driving it. Uh, you're the one that really wants to be satisfied that the internal control systems of your organisation are working so that a risk is being managed and you're more likely to achieve your objectives. Um, so board has a really important role. And some, some of the ways that this plays out is through the establishment of the traditional audit committee, Graeme. So you'd be very familiar with the audit yeah. committee. Now, um, for some organisations, um, depending on their size and if they're a not-for-profit, they don't need to have a, a, an internal audit function, but they would most likely have an audit committee of some sort, and that helps with finances. What I would challenge is that that audit committee, if that's uh, really going to play its true part, has more of a responsibility beyond just finances. It really should be looking at the adequacy of the risk management framework. It should be looking at setting up the audit program and introducing internal or external auditors as the organisation might need or as the risk changes. So the board's role is really, do we have an adequate audit process? How do we know our internal control systems are working well? And is risk management performing adequately? Um, and by that, I mean, it's not just having a document that says you've got a risk management framework. Yeah. It's actually understanding what are the strengths and weaknesses of our approach to risk management. Yeah. Just a final question, just then picking up on sort of that risk management aspect. And I think insurability of organisations is a key issue. It always it is. is. Yeah. And yeah, so demonstrating sound risk management for insurance companies to make sure that organisations achieve the best um, cover that they can. What's your, what's your view on how they can demonstrate it in the best possible way? So this is a really important point, Graeme, that you've made here about insurability. And I just want to give some perspective on, of that for a moment. Um, the care sector across Australia, so aged care, disability, childcare, um, they're suffering from the effects of a hardening insurance market. And what's driving that has been some significant global impacts, uh, including the pandemic, uh, climate change and the effects of, of that 
uh, and in particularly in parts of Australia. Uh, so this has made the insurance industry much more wise and wary, if you like, of uh, who and how it underwrites organisations. And then for the care sector in our country, you throw in aspects like royal commissions, inquiries, very public exposures of awful tragedies, uh, and that makes it tougher again. And then we have the pandemic, just to add a, another element to it. We've actually seen, Graeme, some insurers step out of the insurance market in Australia to provide care and cover for, uh, to provide cover for the care sector. Uh, and in particular around traditional lines like management liability and medical malpractice, professional indemnity, directors and officers cover, which is very important for board directors, and including physical and sexual assault cover. Um, and that becomes really critical in terms of um, how an organisation protects itself, because all those elements can have significant impacts on the business. So as you pointed out at the start, Graham, insurability is now a risk for the sector more broadly. Um, but there is, I guess, some good news in that as well, because there are insurers like Ansvar Insurance who are not stepping away from the market. We've been a traditional insurer in this sector for a very long time and we, continue, and we, uh, we intend to stay there. But we've also sharpened our approach to working with your, with organisations and with their brokers to understand how risk is managed, what the culture is like of an organisation, the capability of boards, for example, and the executive management team, and the performance of the organisation. So what does the history of the organisation tell us about um, its risk? And we've been asking some questions uh, to organisations upon renewal or if they're new clients to us. And I thought I might just share some of them to give some perspective on what it is we're looking for. Uh, do you have a risk framework? And do you understand how effective that framework is? Not that you just have one, but how effective is it? Do you review your strategic risks? And do you have plans to manage those risks? Uh, what work have you done to understand and improve your culture? Um, can you tell us about the capability of your board and how do you bring in expertise around critical risks? Uh, what is your strategy? your risk strategy around clinical governance and your risk strategy around safeguarding? And what tools and resources do you invest in to help you with the management of risk? And in particular, Graham, I'll just make one point about incident management systems. I've seen this as a, a, a big area of concern across the sector. Um, there is variations, um, high variability in the use of incident systems and you know, the incident system forms a very important part of your risk management. It's highly useful in understanding both the operational and more uh, strategic risk environment. And it helps you to protect yourself in incidences that might result in claims where you need to be protected. Um, and the Royal Commissions, both in aged care and disability, have shown that in the absence of good incident systems, um, organisations have struggled to be able to demonstrate the adequacy of some of their care. Um, the, so they're the sorts of things that we're now interrogating a little bit more, Graeme. Um, we probably haven't to this extent in the past, yeah. but expect it to be part of the renewal and discussion approach that you have with your insurer. Okay. Yeah, I really like those questions that you would pose to an organisation, so they should be focusing on those. So that's a that's good insights you've shared and really appreciate your time today, Anthony, and look forward no to worries. our next conversation.
Thanks very much, Graeme, as always. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Search NDS Safer and Stronger on YouTube for more experiences from disability providers as well as other useful resources. Or you can visit the Coronavirus Hub Victorian Response section at nds.org.au. The Safer and Stronger project focuses on supporting disability services in response to COVID-19.